Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, hey, we're going to jump right in. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through 3 today. If you're new to Central, typically what we do on a week-to-week basis is teach through uh, books of the Bible. So we've been in a study of Romans. We just wrapped up Romans chapter 7 last week. And we're taking a break in in Romans uh, to jump to the fall. We're going to jump back in in chapter 8 in the fall. And the reason for that is there's a lot of travel taking place. There's a lot of uh, people in and out. Uh, Attendance kind of fluctuates throughout the summer months. And Romans chapter 8 is so pivotal for us to grasp and to understand. And I'm so excited to jump in. I don't want anyone to miss it. And so we're going to be teaching uh, through the uh, one of Jesus. Uh, his primary sermon was called the Sermon on the Mount. And a section in there is the Beatitudes. That'll be our summer series. Uh, but on weeks like this, I get to share some things that I've been processing and thinking through. And we'll have, call these just one-off weeks. And so I believe the Lord has, has a word for us today. And uh, so let's stand as we honor God's word and read God's word together. There's going to be some red letter words on the screen. I invite you to read those words out loud with me. And you might be thinking, why do we stand? Why do you make us stand whenever we read this, 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 come to this point in the service? And we don't do it every week. We're not dogmatic about it. Uh, but Psalm 138 says this, that, that you've exalted above all things your name and your word. And we just recognize as followers of Jesus, God, you've, this, this isn't just a book of the Bible. This isn't just a, a, something we read. Like, God, this, this has authority to speak into our lives. When you open the Bible on a day-to-day basis, God speaks to you, God, very God. When we gather in a place like this, a, a, we recognize in this moment, God's going to be speaking to multiple people at the same time. And so this is a very sacred space that we come to. The reason we stand whenever you're at a wedding, right, uh, the bride comes in. And what do we do? We stand. Why? To honor the bride because it's her day. And this is God's day, and we're going to honor, honor his word and honor him by not only standing for his word, but actually applying it to our lives. So here's the word of the Lord to us today. Uh, again, the red letter words, please read those out loud with me. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us and run the race, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us, there it is, the race marked out for us, let us. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Father, we just thank you for your word today, that it's alive and active. And and God, I pray over these next few moments, you would speak to every individual in this room at their point of need. That God, you would speak to them in a way that shapes them and changes them and helps us to become more like you, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five for your seated and say, let's run our race to win. Run to win. All right, you can have a seat. So the imagery here is that of a runner, like a runner on a track. And in the grandstands, as it were, these like, like heroes of faith and this cloud of witnesses that's watching people run run the race, and the author is giving us keys to running our race well. And so Hebrews 12.1 starts like this, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and here's a question, what is that cloud of witnesses? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? 
He begins by saying this word, word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, what we got to do, we got to we got to go back and see what it's there for. And so we go rewind the tape just one, one chapter to chapter 11. And, and the author not only defines for us what faith is, like here's what faith is. And then he, he gives us a list of people who have lived a life of faith, the heroes of faith, as it were, these trailblazers who have gone before us and set an example for us to follow as people who are striving to live a life of, of faith. And so whenever he's, he's talking about this cloud of witness, he's talking about those, those heroes like Abraham and, and Samson and, and King David and like these, these saints that have gone before us, which begs a logical question. If the imagery is we're running our Christian race on the track in the cloud of witnesses or people that have, have died in faith before us, a logical question is are dead people watching us, right? Like it's kind of like, in some ways, disturbing, um, but in some ways, something that you hear a lot, right? Uh, especially in seasons like this, if you're new, like we've had our, our kids' directors, Kristen Potter, recently uh, went home to be with Jesus, and you hear well-intended people say things like, well, I'm just grateful she's watching over us, or I'm grateful she's still here with us. And I just wrestle with that. Is that true? Like, is Kristen watching when I scroll Instagram? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, um, but that's what this passage kind of alludes to. Like we're surrounded by a great cloud of, of witnesses. So I just want to spend a little bit of time on this, this topic. First Thessalonians 4.13 says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep so that you do not grieve like people who have no hope. He goes on to say like, hey, Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, those who have died in Christ, like they're coming back with Jesus. So whenever Jesus returns, it's not just going to be Jesus in the clouds by himself, but with like millions and millions of saints throughout generations will be coming back with him. So like we'll be reunited with him in the air. We'll see Kristen again in that moment. In that moment, I'll get to see my grandma and grandpa again. I'll get to see my buddies that have already died at a, at a young age. And I got a lot of of questions around that, but it'll be, be this great reunion that I so eagerly await, and I know you eagerly await as well. And so a question is, what are they doing then? Like those who have, have died in faith, what are they currently doing? Uh, a couple of things. I want to give you five things that they're doing. We could make a much longer list, uh, but here's what you get to look forward to, and here's what you get to rest in, that those people you love that have gone on before you, here's what they're currently doing. One, they're enjoying their new body. Hey, they're enjoying a new body. 1 Corinthians 15.35 says this. says, but some will ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? And he goes on to give us an analogy. He uses the analogy of, of like a seed. So if you've ever seen an acorn tree, well, that tree started as a seed, an acorn seed, and it's planted in the ground. And once that seed dies, it begins to shoot up out of the ground. Now it's this, this ginormous tree. And what the author, what Paul's saying here is like, your body's like that. This is the seed. And one day it's going to die. It's going to be planted, but it's going to be raised to be a new and glorious spiritual body. Here's what he says. Jump down to verse 42. It says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness. They'll be raised in strength. They're buried in natural human bodies, but they'll be raised spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Like, like, so, so it's going to be you, 
but it's going to be like a new you, a, a different you, a glorious you, like a, a, a tomato seed. If you plant a tomato seed in the ground, right? And I don't know if you, anybody, fellow tomato lovers, but, but tomato seed, very small, but it shoots up out of the ground and then it, it begins to like have these delicious red fruits hanging off of it. Like it's the same seed, but it's different. It's better. It's improved. And the same's true with you that I'm seeing right now. You're a seed. It's going to be planted. It's going to be raised. Glorious, glorious body. Jump down to verse 50 with me. He says, says, what what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you've been with us in our study of Romans, we've been studying in Romans chapter 7 specifically that that whenever sin, whenever we committed sin, uh, Paul uses this phrase like sin set up a base camp of operation. As we studied last week, that now there's this tug of war within our flesh and we have a sinful nature. Uh, Paul refers to it as our flesh. But there's also a spirit man inside. So the, the flesh wants to pull us down, but the spirit wants to pull us up. And so there's this constant tension in our life. Do I, do I live to please God? Do I live to please my sinful nature? And so this sinful nature, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He says, these dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we'll all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, the last trumpet will be blown. For, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed. Our, our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. For our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin power. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory over sin and death. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always working enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. You're going to get a new body and it's going to be awesome. And so what are believers who have died in the Lord doing right now? I think they're thinking, oh my gosh, look at this. I got, I don't, no more headache, no more glasses, no more pain. Like, what is this glorious thing you have done for me? Thank you. Thank you, God. Philippians 3.20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, which sidebar public service announcement, never forget that. When you watch the news, when you're like, what about China? What about AI? What about the market? What? Your citizenship is in heaven. When things are going crazy, remember your citizenship is in heaven. When you cash out your pension, when you buy the big house, when you get what you've always wanted, never forget your citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him will bring everything under his control. And here's what he's going to do. He will transform more lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to get a new body, not just like a, a plastic upgrade, like no, like a, a glory, like his body. That's amazing. That's tremendous. And so what are those doing that have gone, died in faith before us? They're enjoying their glorious body. Second thing, what are they doing? They're marveling in the presence of God. Marveling in the presence of God. Revelation 22.3, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. 
I want to just pause right there because we fail to fathom the reality of what that would be. We live in a sin-cursed world. All we've, we were born into a sin-cursed world. The, the reason there are earthquakes, the reason there's tornadoes, the reasons there's tsunamis, the, the, the reason there's these broken things in creation, it was never created that way. But as we've been studying, learning through our study of Romans, like sin invaded our creation itself. Sin distorts, sin destructs. But it wasn't the way God originally designed it. Romans 8 is going to say, say that creation itself longs to be liberated from its bondage and decay. It's going to be, it longs to be made, made new. Every relationship we've ever had, as wonderful as they are, they've been contaminated. They've been twisted by sin. Our physical bodies twisted by sin, which is why they, they actually die. But there's coming a day when, when, there, when no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Says there, there the, the throne of God is and the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face. What are they doing now? They're seeing the face of God in a, this sin-free environment and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be uh, no, no more night there. Check this out. No more lamps. No need for the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever marveling like are you like we're like no lamps no headlights no sun like because the glory of God is so radiant there they're just marveling in the presence of God third what are they doing what are those who have died in faith doing now I think they're enjoying eternal rest eternal rest revelation 14 13 blessed are those who died in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will go before them. Rest, no more toil, no more, oh my gosh, it's Monday. No, no, no more of, oh, I gotta do that. No, like I think there will be work in heaven. The Bible alludes to that. The Bible actually says that you, part of your job in heaven will be to judge the angels. You're like, wow, that's, yeah, I know. It'll be work, but it won't be like exhausting work. It'll be good work, life-giving work. I think there'll be good things for us to do and enjoy an eternal rest, I think is what our friends and family are currently doing that have died in the faith before us. Fourth thing I think they're doing is rejoicing and worshiping God. Rejoicing and worshiping God. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked up and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, like too many people to even fathom, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, symbolizing that they've been fully made pure, fully sanctified, fully, fully holy. They were holding and waving palm branches, symbolizing freedom, symbolizing their deliverance. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. There were four living creatures and they all fell down on their face before the throne. And they worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Worshiping, rejoicing in the presence of of God. We, we, every service that we do and is really trying to get a little slice of heaven. Uh, Jesus said, pray this, pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we try to live life with a little bit of a representation of what is heaven like. Well, certainly it's wonderful to gather and worship. And for some of it's actually our favorite part of the week, but it's just a very small taste of what heaven 
will be like this worshiping and rejoicing in the presence of God. Countless angels, multitudes of people no one could count from every language, every tribe, every race of people. What a beautiful sight. That's what they're experiencing. Fifth and final, and again, there could be a much longer list. I just wanted to give you five. The fifth and final one is, what are those who have died in faith now doing? I think they're feasting and fellowshipping with angels and saints. Feasting, fellowshipping. The Bible talks about this idea of feasting in heaven, this great abundance. Luke 22, 28 says this, talking, Jesus talking to his disciples says, you have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my father granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat at my table in my kingdom. You will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, this imagery of, of feasting and fellowshipping. Hebrews 12.22 says this, uh, No, you, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, with countless thousands upon angels in joyful gathering. Like these spirit beings that like if we were to see them now it would be terrifying. Every time you see an angel appear in the Bible, like the people fall down in fear. They're like, take it easy on me, you know. But, but they're thousands joyfully celebrating together. You've come to the assembly of the firstborn children whose names are written in heaven, saints throughout the ages. You've come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. This image of like feasting and fellowship and celebrating I just imagine like they're at this, this big banquet hall in my mind anyway, and, and someone raises a glass, they're like, quiet, please. <laughs> Daniel, tell us the story again. What was it like with those lions? Tell us how you felt as you stood up with courageous faith to say, no, I'm going to be a person of prayer. I don't care what the king says. Hey, hey Moses. Tell us what it was like as you stood on the brink of the Red Sea and you had Pharaoh and a, a million rescued slaves behind you coming to crush. How'd you feel? No, Moses, we heard your story before. God, tell us from your perspective, what was that moment like? What did you, how long did you have that planned? Hey, quiet, please. Kristen Potter, please stand. Could you please describe what a pandemic is? Can you, what was it like to live in the Bay Area at that time? How, how was it helping people find and follow Jesus in your time, in your space? I think Paul's there on the edge of his seat. Come on, Kristen, tell us more details. It's this feasting, this fellowshipping, this, this joyful celebration in God's presence with angels and multitudes of generations of followers of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but man, I long for that. I look forward to that. I'm happy for my friends. I'm happy for my family. And it's, it's good for us as followers of Jesus to keep the end in mind in the midst of life's ups and, and downs. Back to Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, to our original question, do does the Bible point to like the dead people are watching us? I don't know. Like I can't really be dogmatic on this point, but, but I would just think, man, they're probably preoccupied with some other stuff. They, they probably got some bigger fish to fry, as we would say in Missouri. They, they, I mean, there's some, some other things going on here, you know? Like it's awesome for them. And I think the author's just using this metaphor saying, hey, they've, they were faithful in their race before you. 
Now it's your turn to run your race. This is your time. You're on the track. They, 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 some of them probably wish they could get back on the track because they wish they could do some things over again. But now's your time. You get to do over today. You can run your way, race the way that they wish they had in some cases. Chapter 12 goes on to say this in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, here's what we do, in light of that reality, in light of heaven, in light of eternity, let us throw off some things that hinder. Let's throw off some things that slow us down and the sin that so easily entangles us. And here's a question. What is it that hinders you in your race with God? As you strive to live as a person of faith in this time, in this space, what is your greatest hindrance? We know that our days are short, right? Like Psalm 39, 4 says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. Like, like my, my days are, I don't know what my number is. Hopefully I got a few thousand left, but I don't know. And neither do you, but, but our days are numbered. James 4, 17 says this, what's your life? Like, like life can feel like it's so long when we're young. And then we get to a, a seasoned age of life. We're like, life is so short. James says, well, what is life? He says, is your life? Here's what it is. It's a mist. It appears for a little while, then it vanishes. And we got this limited window, is what I'm saying. We got this limited window. Those who have ran the race before us, they're, they're celebrating, enjoying all that. So what type of people should we be today in our race? What are some things that, that hinder us? And I think we could make a long list and probably our list would be unique to you and to us individually, I want to give you two things that I think hinder every follower of Jesus in our day and age. Uh, the first, and these aren't necessarily in prioritized order. I probably would flip them actually. But, but the first is our mindset, our mindset, the things we think about. It, it's so true. You know, our, our minds are an interesting place. The battle is really won or lost in our mind. There, there's so much data to support this. There's so much spiritual Literature throughout the generations that support this. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite philosophers, theologians, says this, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. I have that on my desk. Every day I sit down, I'm like, I need to do, I gotta need, before I do this, before I move through my task list, I just need to inject the presence of God. I need to keep God always before my mind. Uh, if you're with us last week, and been with us through our study of Romans, um, I, I couldn't jump to Romans chapter 8. So I'm not going to, we're going to go there. Uh, I couldn't resist it, but we're not, not going to unpack it. So come back, September, we're going to unpack it more. But here's what it says. So you're with us last week. Here's where it picks up. Therefore, in light of what we talked about last week, don't, don't have time to go there now. But therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own son, the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Now check this out. Those who, how do we live according to the, the spirit and not according to our sinful nature or, or not according to our flesh? Verse 5. Those who live according to sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Five times in three verses, Paul says, what's the key to living a victorious Christian life? It's your thought life. It's what you think about. That's why keeping God always before your mind is one of the most crucial, if not the most crucial spiritual discipline you and I can have. That's why you hear people talk about how you do when you're reading the word. It helps us keep God always before our mind. How, how, what scriptures you've been memorizing and meditating lately helps keep God always before your mind. When you get with friends, you talk about what you're learning in God's word. It helps, helps keep God always before our mind, and, and that will result in victorious Christian living. We must always keep God before our minds. And so a mindset is a big thing that I think hinders us. Second thing, and maybe the most important thing in our culture today, I would say is pace of life. Pace of life. I think this is something for us to constantly evaluate. I think this is something that I struggle with deeply, but I'm striving to get better at. Again, Dallas Willard, probably my favorite quote, says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There is nothing else. That's a good one to take a picture of and keep in front of you. Hurry is the enemy of spiritual life. When you think about what life in the spirit is, uh, Paul described it as a life of love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And let me just ask you, how many of those fruits of the spirit can you manifest in your life while you're in a hurry? How loving are you when you're in a hurry? You know, people say when it comes to parenting, people spell love T-I-M-E. Well, if I'm in a hurry, I can't really do that. How joyful are you when you're in a hurry? How patient are you when you're in a hurry? Get in the car now, kids, or else. Like, dad has transformed. He's no longer pastor dad. He's like demonic dad. I don't know. Like, he's, he's somebody else. Hurry. It is true, man. It's hard to experience the presence of God while in a hurry. Andrew Murray, the great devotional writer, he, he, he said, he said hurry's the great enemy of prayer. Hurry is an enemy of, of thriving spiritual life. It was Corey Timboon who said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Ronald Rollheiser said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Whenever we get a free moment, what do we do? We're, we're in the grocery store, right? We're waiting in line, if you still go to the grocery store. Um, but, but you're waiting in line. We get out our phone, right? We're, we get a moment in the bathroom. <laughs> Art, right? Like we're just, Ronald Roy, he says, we're distracting ourselves into oblivion because our frantic pace of life. And it's not even those that are like, have highly demanding jobs. We're just always distracting ourselves. So we always feel busy. We never feel rested. We never feel at, at peace. And I'm just suggesting those two things as perhaps, like, if you're like me, those are some things that hinder me in my spiritual walk with God. My mindset, my pace of life. Here's the good news, though. Both of those are in your, my control. Both of those are within your control. Those are two things that we can do something about. He, Hebrews 12, 1, it says, so that we're going to, in light of these witnesses that have gone before us, in light of the legacy they've blazed, in light of the, the race they've run, in light of eternity, we're going to throw off some things that hinder. And he says, says, there's also some sins that so easily entangle us. And just a reminder, like, you've heard me use this fishing analogy. Like, you catch different fish differently. 
And so the sin that might entangle you might not entangle the person next to you. Like what looks very appealing to you, very appetizing to you, might be gross to someone else. But the reality is that you have a lure with your name on it. So something like the concept of fishing is you just think about what does that fish eat on a daily basis. You make it look as real as possible, make it look very appealing, cast it in front of them and fish eats it. You, then you eat it, <laughs> you know, like that, that's how it works, right? And your enemy, he, same way, he's finding something that looks very appealing to you. He knows your tendencies. He knows your propensity to sin. As you're going to hear next week, like there's been generational things in your family that, that your great, great, great grandfather was attracted to. And perhaps it might be the same thing that you're attracted to. And how, how do we live life that can maybe break some of those cycles? We'll be looking at that next week. But the reality is you and I, there's some sins that entangle us. And so what is it that entangles you? What are some sins that, that trip you up? Well, your list is going to look different than mine, but being aware of those is the first step to getting victory in those. And so that's what the, the author here is, is saying. 2 Corinthians 12, 11 says that, so Satan might not outwit us, for we are familiar with the devil's schemes. Like he's talking about in context here about forgiveness and how bitterness can sink our ship. But I think it's true of any area of sin. Like, like Satan, he, don't let Satan outwit you. Like, be familiar with the way that he, he, he tempts you, the lure that he likes to throw your way. Identify what that is. Then back to Hebrews 12. So we're going to run with perseverance, this race marked out for us. We're going to get rid of some sin that hinders us. Uh, we're going to let go of some things that trip us up. And we're going to run with perseverance, this race marked out for us. The victory requires perseverance in the Christian journey. That word perseverance can also be translated Endurance. It is, is a steady determination to keep on going. It means continuing even when you get up, want to give up or, or quit. And I don't know if any of you can rewind the clock with me back to like your first time ever running that mile run in elementary school. Like what a horrifying memory uh, for many of us. Uh, but for me, I thought, man, I, I'm, I was a decent athletic kid at the time, um, not so much anymore, but at the time I was decently athletic. And I thought as we were getting ready for this race, I was like, mile run, no problem. I got this. In my mind, I'm thinking of all the kids I'm going to lap as I'm running this mile run. And it's a very conky, very, very evident, uh, uh, arrogant. And I start off this race, this mile run, boom, at a sprint. And I'm like passing people like, ha, that's what I thought, sucker. Right? And then I, I finished that first lap and my lungs are now on fire. Uh, my legs are starting to feel like jello. And I got four laps to go, right? So second lap, I'm slowing down. Third lap, I'm gassed. Like, I can't even go. Like, so people start passing me, right? In my mind's eye, my PE teacher was going to, like, hail me off on his shoulders, like, greatest athlete of all time. And here I am, like, just go, just, just go. And I think for some people, their Christian life is like that. They come in really hot, and then they're on fire, and yeah, they're going for it. And yeah, I'll do that. Right now, media, yeah. Church, yeah. Lip group, yeah. Sign me up, serve, yeah. And then like a month later, they're like, just, just go. Just keep going. Well, Paul, the, the writer here, I don't know if it's Paul or not, but he's, he's saying he, there's some perseverance to this thing called the race of, of life. And God is concerned with steadfastness in your journey. Not so much the sprint, but a steady plod, the same direction over the long haul. Eugene Peterson said discipleship is a long, slow walk in the same direction. A long, slow walk in the same direction. 
So we're going we're gonna to recognize, man, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We get to carry the legacy, those who've gone before us. We're going to throw off some things that hinder us. We're going to let go of some sin. We're going to identify it and pray about it, get victory in those areas that entangle us. We're going to run with perseverance, a steady plod the same direction. He says this, we're going to run this race. This race is marked out for us. This word race is an interesting word. It's, it's the, the Greek word agion. Uh, we get our English word agony from it. Aren't you thankful to be in the race? But it's this idea that it's not a luxury. Like it's not an easy thing. And so we do people a disservice when we're like, follow Jesus and everything's going to be gravy, baby. Like it's, that's not true. The invitation is to join the race and it's kind of agonizing at times, to be honest. It, it can be really hard. God's going to invite you into this journey to go places you've never gone before. And it's a beautiful journey. But it's a daring journey because he's going to ask you to go to some places that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. To help you become the man, the woman he created you to be. So when you're in the race, like, don't put it in park. Will Rogers says the road to success is dotted with many tempting parking spots. I think for so many, we give up like right before the breakthrough. We throw in the towel, man, it's it's agonized, tough. I think I'm just going to, you just keep on going. Let them go by. When we're just inches away maybe from the breakthrough you'd hoped for, we give up on praying for loved ones. We're like, God, I've been praying for years. No movement. God, I've been talking to him about Jesus for, since I've known him, no change. Don't put it in park. Keep keep going. The, the race isn't easy. It's not a luxury. It can be agonizing at time. But keep marching. Then notice how he ends. He says, run with perseverance. The race, let's pull this up again, the race that's marked out for us. And so the heroes of faith, they ran their race in their generation, in their time. They fulfilled God's purpose for their time. But now is your time. This is your race. And there's a race that's marked out for for you. Acts 13, 36 says, for, for David served God's purposes in his own generation. He fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and his body turned into fertilizer. King David, way to run your race. He ran it in his generation. He fulfilled God's purpose for his generation. You get to fulfill your purpose for your generation. So let's run this race marked out for us. Acts 17, 26 says, for, for, from one man, he made all nations. So from Adam and Eve, he made all people that they should inhabit the whole earth. And check this out. He determined, not by chance, he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. I just want to close by reminding you, you live in the Bay Area for a purpose. God determined this time for you. God determined this place for you. You have a purpose. For King David, it was to be king in Jerusalem. But your time is now. Your race is now. Now is the time. The Bible says this is the appointed hour. If, if you wanted you to live in Texas, you'd be in Texas. So we can stop lusting over Zillow and, and just, just realize, God, you determined this, right? Let's be honest. And so, God, you, you've placed us here for such a purpose to help people find you, help people follow you. And so you may say, man, well, how do I live out my purpose? What does that look like? 
What do I, how do I make a difference like this summer, like right now, my time's now. I don't want to waste an opportunity. Well, you saw on the screen a minute ago, we're going to have a night of prayer and worship on June 7th. We're going to have teaching that night on how you can usher in God's kingdom right here. Bring the kingdom to the Bay Area. In your time, in your place, in this space, God has a race. It's marked out for you. He's determined this is where you're going to live. He said, 2023, this is your time. He's inviting us to embrace that rather than to wish it would be something different. And that's just something good for us to sell in our heart, I feel like, as your pastor. Here's what I would also say as I close. And this isn't my notes, but maybe this is a word for somebody here. This is the only time you get to encounter God. I think for me, if you're like me, it's easy to give God my future. God, I give you my future. Whatever happened next week, God, it's yours. Here's the challenge with that. It's easy to give God my future because I don't have my future. It's not, it's not here yet. I, I can't be obedient in the future. How many of us have said, hey, I'm going to start, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to be healthy. But now, your boy is about to eat a Big Mac. <laughs> right? Well, it's easy to be disciplined in the future. It's easy to run your race well in the future. But now's the only moment you got. Now's the only time you can experience the presence of God. Now's the only time where you can say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. God, I, I, maybe I haven't been running the race as much as, as well as I'd like. God, I recognize there's some things in my life that have been slowing me down. They've been hindering me. God, there's some, some sin in my life. I recognize it trips me up. It keeps me beat down. But God, right now in this moment, I'm going to be obedient to you. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. Now is when you get to run your race. Now is when we get to be faithful to what he's done. Now's the moment that will determine eternal rewards then. So run your race to win it. We pray for you. Father, I just thank you.